Please open your Bibles again at Luke chapter 5, page 1032 in the Church Bible. Luke chapter 5, calling of the first disciples. <coughs> A remarkable encounter with the Lord Jesus. How would you feel, do you think, if you actually encountered Jesus? How would you feel if you heard Jesus reading the scriptures? What it would be like to have seen Jesus perform a miracle, give sight to the blind, make a lame man walk. What would your response have been if you had been present when Jesus had given one of these great invitations to people? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Or if you've been present on this occasion when Jesus gives that great uh, invitation to find purpose in life. Come and follow. I'll give you a purpose that you've never had. I'll make you a fisher of men. How would you feel if you personally encountered Jesus? Well, there's good news in that Jesus encounters us today just as really as he did then through the scriptures. Because it is in the scriptures and the word of God that we meet with Jesus. We meet him as truly as if we had been standing with the crowd by the lake when he preached to them and when he addressed Simon Peter. Simon Peter is who's very much in the center of this uh, episode. Jesus is on his case. Perhaps Jesus is on your case today. How are you going to respond to him? Some parts of the, the Gospels are very visual in the way that they tell us of Jesus. And this is a, a typical section which is very visual. It's, it's almost as though it's a film director uh, in charge of the, the, the narration. There's a, a camera <coughs> angle here. There's a long distance shot, first of all, of what's going on. The camera uh, seeing from a distance uh, a crowd by a lake. It's an early morning shot. The people in the east are up early and they're down by the lakeside. The sun is rising over the hills on the other side of the lake, shining in the water. Uh, glistening in the dew that's still in the grass and the fertile fields that surround the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus of Nazareth is down by the water's edge and there's a crowd of people and they're listening to him. He's preaching to them and they're listening so intently that as the camera homes in on the scene, you can see that they're jostling to get further, to Je closer to Jesus. They're pressing in on him. They're straining to hear the word of God. And at the edge of this group of people, there is another scene. It's a working scene. There are two boats that have been pulled up on the shingle and the fishermen are mending their nets. We don't know if they're lugging into what is going on. I'm sure they are, but their focus is upon their nets. They've been fishing and they're cleaning their nets. And one of these men is called Simon. Simon, Simon Peter, is a fisherman, but 
the reality is that he's been playing the role of the fish rather than the fisher. Jesus has Simon at the end of his line of love. He's drawing Simon Peter in. Drawing him into himself. See, this isn't Simon Peter's first encounter with Jesus. He first heard of Jesus from John the Baptist. He was brought to Jesus by his brother Andrew shortly after the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan. And at that point, Jesus had singled him out, had looked him in the eye, had said to him, you are Simon, you will be called Cephas. Just the Aramaic word for Peter. You'll be called a rock. Peter evidently met up with Jesus again. Heard him speak a number of times. When we come to Capernaum, which is Simon Peter's hometown, Jesus has made his home, pardon me, his base for this part of the Galilean ministry in Simon Peter's home in Capernaum. So, the picture is one of a work in progress. He is an on and off disciple. He's with Jesus. He is drawn like iron filings to the magnet of Jesus. But he's going back to his fishing. He's uh, on and off. And he's got a lot to learn. And we'll see that even further on. Uh, He's a lot to learn about who Jesus is. Why Jesus will have to go to the cross and die. These things haven't really been fully understood by Peter yet. Now it's often the case uh, with our own encounters with Jesus, that we don't suddenly have everything fall into place. We don't have what we call, after uh, Saul of Tarsus' experience, a Damascus Road experience, where, where shabang, everything happens all of a sudden. More often, it is a gradual process. We're drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to know more about him. And as we learn more about him, we're drawn further until by the mercy and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're enabled to believe in Jesus and we become disciples. And Jesus himself uh, gave a, a teaching parable about that when he healed a blind man in two stages. He put spittle in the blind man's eyes and the blind man said that he could see, but mm, it was really like, Men, the men that he saw were like trees walking and Jesus touched them again. And after the second touch, the man could see clearly. And that's the way it is with us. It maybe is the way that it is with you this morning. That you are in process. You are seeing things, but they're like men, like trees walking. You're not absolutely clear on the gospel And you haven't come to commit yourself completely to Jesus. But Jesus is on your case. Like he was with Simon Peter. He is drawing you in. With a line of love. So. Here is an important point in Peter's discipleship. He encounters Jesus. And he finds in this encounter with Jesus several things. He finds that Jesus first of all is the one who has the word of life. Second, he is the Lord who knows all about him, about all things. 
He's the one, because he knows all about things and because he is holy, brings a great sense of fear into Peter's life. But he is also the one who brings grace to him. And then the one who brings a purpose to his life. So these things in Peter's discovery of Jesus through this encounter. First of all, Jesus has the word of God. There's a very powerful picture in the crowd who are straining to hear what Jesus has to say that morning by the Sea of Galilee. They are listening to one whose every word they want to hang on because they are not the words of man, but the word of God. Jesus didn't draw crowds because he had carefully crafted sermons. Jesus didn't draw crowds because he had special insights into the human condition, although he did. Jesus didn't draw crowds because he was entertaining as a speaker. He drew crowds because people recognized that they were listening to the word of God. It's a lesson that Peter himself would learn well later on. There was a point in Jesus' ministry when people started leaving, started deserting him. You know, his popularity peaked and then people started, oh, we'll go off after other things. And Simon I was asked by Jesus, or the disciples were rather asked by Jesus, will you also desert? Will you go away also? And it's Simon who speaks out. He says, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Jesus alone has the word of eternal life. Luke tells us that the people were listening to the word of God, verse 1. When Jesus was speaking, God was speaking. When Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, remember, Satan is trying to deflect him from a path of trusting sonship, from the path that will go to the cross. And at each turn, Jesus responds with the word of God. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is written, serve the Lord God and him alone. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The word of God satisfied at every point. And Jesus himself now is God's last word to us. There's a key verse in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 where we're told that in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, literally by sonship. Okay? In the past, there were prophecies, there were visions, and revelation came in these ways. But the son has now come, and that former way of revelation has been superseded. The revelation is now complete in Jesus. So, in other words, while God can speak to us in any way he chooses and can speak to us through creation and through dreams and through circumstances and so on, what they're like, someone has said, is they're like the clapping of the teacher to get our attention. But the word that God speaks to us comes through the Bible. And if you and I would meet with Jesus we will meet him in the Bible. 
That's so important, friends. There's many people today who would tell us that we can meet with Jesus through other ways of revelation. Sometimes they appear more exciting, more real indeed. But when the Bible is proclaimed in the power of the Holy Spirit, God speaks, Jesus is revealed, and lives are changed. This is where we are to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, and here is where we will encounter him. We encounter Jesus through the word of God. And the second thing that comes clearly across in this encounter with Jesus is the fact that he is Lord. He is the boss. He is master of all. One of the commentators, uh, Scottish-born Alexander McLaren, writes, there's nothing more remarkable in the whole narrative than the matter, of, the, the matter of course fashion in which our Lord takes the disposal of these men and orders them about. It is quite staggering, isn't it? If you think yourself into the scene, Jesus quite naturally takes on himself the role of master of ceremonies. Simon, uh, we're going to need your boat now, so get this boat and just push it out a little so we can have a floating pulpit. And then uh, he tells Peter, uh, you haven't caught any fish, uh, I want you to go and take the boat now into the deep water and put down your nets. Here's a carpenter telling an old hand fisherman how to catch fish. And there's no sense of this being a wrong, unusual, or a usurping of authority. Jesus simply is Lord. He is sovereign. And notice the response that Simon makes to it. He responds addressing Jesus as not teacher on this occasion, but as master. Master. Master, we've, we've fished all night, but at your bidding, if you say so, we will go and do it. Now, this was going against uh, all of uh, Simon's fishing experience. People fished at night on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, possibly it was because they, the fish came to the surface. Uh, they had gone deep during the heat of the day, but when it was cooler at night, they came near the surface. And so these were better fishing conditions. And they had gone out and they had fished by the conventional wisdom. And Jesus is saying, go against the conventional wisdom, do what I tell you. And Peter has got to know Jesus well enough now to know that when Jesus commands, he's to be obeyed. And that's a mark of us when when we're beginning to, to encounter Jesus, when we're beginning to be drawn to Jesus, we learn the lesson that he is Lord and that he is to be trusted and obeyed even when his commands go against the street wisdom of our day. What does the street wisdom of our day tell us? Well, the street wisdom of our day tells us, you know, if you're uh, going to get anything in life, you'll have to earn it. And therefore, because you have to earn everything in life, if you're going to get to heaven, you have to be good enough. Street wisdom of our day tells us sincerity is so important that if you're sincere, no matter whether you're wrong, 
If you're sincerely wrong, God's bound to accept that. Jesus says, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Street wisdom tells us that the other religions can't be wrong. Again, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Master. He's the captain of the ship. And Peter recognizes that. He says, Master, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will lay down my, let down the nets. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Has that vital step been taken in which Jesus is master of all things? Thirdly, Jesus encountered this one as the Son of God who knows all things. At the simplest, Jesus knew where the fish were. He sent them out to where there was this enormous shoal of fish. Jesus in his divine nature knows all things. He knows all men. He's the one who when calling another disciple. Saw Nathaniel when he was under the fig tree meditating. He recognized him as an, a true Israelite in whom there is no God. And he knows you. He knows when you're sad. He knows when you're happy. He knows the frustrations in your life. He knows if you're running from him. He knows you through and through. And Jesus is holy. And there's a coming together in Peter's experience of this knowledge that Jesus knows everything and that the one who knows everything is the holy God. And it completely unnerves him. This knowledge of Jesus brings about an unexpected reaction. Peter goes, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. It's not the reaction that you'd expect, again, is it? If you're placing yourself in the the stream of events, you wouldn't expect this to happen. What's happened already? Well, they have put down their nets into the lake again, and the net immediately bulges with so many fish that the nets begin to break. There are fish thrashing around everywhere. The water's boiling with them. Uh, The men in the boats, fish, uh, Peter and his partner, signal to their other uh, partners to come out with the other boat. They haul in some of the catch from the nets that are breaking into the boats so that both, both boats are loaded with fish. The net result being no pun intended, the net result being is that they both begin to sink. And Jesus is sitting or standing in the boat all the time, along with Simon Peter, watching, no doubt, to see how he reacts to the sight. How does Simon Peter react? How would you have reacted? Many people would have been reacting with, wow, this is fantastic. There would have been high fives all round. We are going to be rich. There is an incredible catch here. When we get to the fish market, how much will all these fish be worth? How many are there? Maybe 400. One fish, £4.50. How much have we got there? You know, the, the, uh, the, uh, the calculators would have been uh, spinning round. But Peter says something very different. He says, 
Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. What's the logic going on here? He knows that the Lord who saw into the depth of the sea sees into the depth of his heart and knows that all is not right. Knows that he's a rebel, that he's been actually resisting Jesus. Knows that he's a sinner. And because he is a sinner, in the presence of the holy God, he is in great danger. Peter realizes how things really stand. Peter is experiencing the same emotional unzipping that Isaiah experienced when he was in the temple and received his call from God. Remember that famous passage, Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah sees the Lord God filling the temple with his majesty. And his response, woe is me. I am undone. I'm unzipped. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And I have seen the Lord. I am in mortal danger. When sin comes into the presence of holiness. The danger is combustion. Sin burned up in the presence of the fire of holiness. And there's something of that reaction in every genuine encounter with Jesus. We don't come into the presence of Jesus as into the presence of someone who is tame, domesticated. He is rightly to be feared. He is the one who knows all about you. There is no mask that can hide you from him. He knows your sin. He knows when you have been running from him. He sees you. One of the men who was working on the church recently uh, was pointing out to the fact that we've got something of a problem with, with young folks probably taking drink from one of the local shops and drinking it around the side of the church. And the remedy he suggested was if you have a light that comes on after it gets dark, no one will hang around there. You see, the light exposes the acts of darkness and people want to get away. Okay, that's what's happening here. That's what's happening with Peter in the presence of Jesus. He is standing beside one whose light exposes the darkness of his heart. John Newton's great hymn, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." Grace's first work is to make us fear God. Grace goes on to do its work, doesn't it? And that happens here. Uh, Peter's reaction, in some senses, is illogical. Go away from me, my Lord. Actually, uh, what he needs more than anything at this point is Jesus being near him. 
but he's not thinking in a logical manner. He's, he's just conscious that his wretchedness has been exposed. Uh, he feels as though he's a man balancing on the edge of a volcano. <coughs> but look what Jesus says to him. He said, Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. Now the only reason that Jesus can say, don't be afraid, and for these words to mean more than a mere platitude, is that Jesus has done something, or will go on to do something rather, which will bring an end to Peter's fear. Jesus will go to the cross of Calvary and he will bear the punishment for all the sin of Simon Peter and all the sin of everyone who has ever looked to Jesus in faith. And so he will rob Satan of his ammunition. There will be no uh, grounds for anyone accusing the people for whom Jesus has died. And therefore we don't need to be afraid. And so Jesus can say to Simon Peter, do not be afraid. Until we're trusting Jesus, we've got every reason to be afraid. Why would we not be afraid? Sinners in the hands of a holy God. And the grace keeps on coming. Jesus says, you will not need to be afraid, Simon. But not only that, as you follow me, I am going to give you work to do that will bring purpose to your life such as you do not have right now. What would your dream job be? <laughs> uh, just think about it. It might be uh, being the warden of a tropical island somewhere or a football uh, manager or a film director, something like that. And the fact is that whatever we dream about, whatever we think would give us most satisfaction, uh, when we consult with those who actually have got there, what do they say? They wonder if it was worth the effort, the cost. Or they'll admit that the pleasure, the thrill of it has faded somewhat. But there's a work that God can give us. And the thrill is unlike anything else in the world. And it gives us a sense of purpose that nothing else can. The best sat job satisfaction that we can have is when our lives fall in line with God's purpose for the world. And Jesus challenges Simon Peter to give up his small ambitions and to go for something that is really exciting. From now on, you will catch men. <laughs> What's Jesus saying? He's saying essentially this. He's saying, Simon Peter, you are doing a worthwhile job. It's, it's a good job. You are putting food on the plate for people. And that is a good thing to do. You are contributing to society. And I've just given you the biggest catch of your career. This is the, this is the, the, the biggest high that your chosen profession can give you. You're looking at the prospect of being incredibly rich. Even this catch is going to be worth a huge amount. But I can give you more. Instead of catching fish, you can catch men. I'm going to give you the thrill of seeing people step from darkness into light. I'm going to give you the thrill of being an instrument of the good news. Because you share the good news of the kingdom, Peter, there will be people who will end up in heaven. 
And there's no more thrilling work than that. I'll make you a fisher of men. Jesus brings new purpose into our lives by catching us up into his glorious and eternal purposes. Now notice uh, Jesus isn't saying, and I'm not saying that to find this joy, you have to give up your day job and become a missionary or a minister because that calling is a calling. It's a matter of gifts and and, uh, God giving a specific calling. And Jesus isn't saying either that an ordinary day job is not something which can be done for the glory of God when we do it with integrity. But what we are saying here is that if you are a follower of Jesus, then you need to take on in your life his purpose for your life. And his purpose for his children is never simply that they become successes in their business or get to the top of their particular career. His word is, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But whatever it is we do, our aim should be to glorify God and the focus of that aim should be to be a witness for Jesus Christ through your lifestyle, your attitudes and your words. And that always means a shift of focus for us so that we begin to view people as Jesus did and we see ourselves as his representatives in our circle of friends, our family, our work colleagues, our neighbours. That's the calling of every Christian. It's the calling, certainly, of our congregation. Uh, I often say that the reality of our congregation is that we're a, a, like a church plant or a replant. And when you're in a church planting situation, you're, you're, you're building a boat that's already in the water. So there's this desperate urgency to build that boat, that it might float. Being fishers of men becomes a vital priority. It's not the first task of the church. The first task of the church is worship. But John Piper says, worship exists. Sorry, missions exist because worship doesn't. We reach out that there might be people drawn in to worship God and give him glory. It's absolutely necessary to be fishers of men, but that doesn't obscure the the sheer thrill of it all, the sheer joy of it all. Jesus' Jesus' approach to the disciples here isn't to load them with guilt and saying, oh, you must become a fisher of men. He says to them, in effect, I'll give you so much more than the best that you could have in any secular job satisfaction. When you are in line with my purposes, the thrill of the biggest catch of a lifetime will simply pale into insignificance once you've known the thrill of being a fisher of men. When we were thinking about geese earlier on, I came across this picture. (laughs) These geese being uh, herded uh, to a barn and, of course, the domestic geese, they don't fly uh, because they've just been so long used to not flying. Imagine that you're one of these geese and you're marching along there 
and you look up into the sky and you see your wild cousins and one of the, the geese on the ground says to the other we could do that <laughs> another one says I don't know we'll keep on marching we could fly but they don't Jesus is saying to the disciples you could fly you could know the thrill of catching men you could know the joy of bringing others into the kingdom Just very briefly as we finish, uh, the parable of Jesus is in some ways, uh, the, the, the miracle of Jesus is in some ways a way of showing how it is we go about the work of bringing uh, men into the kingdom, men and women into the kingdom. When Jesus guides them in sending them out into the deep, it's a reminder to us that when we're uh, in the business of catching men and women, bringing people into his kingdom, the one who guides us is always Jesus. We want to know who it is that the Lord is working with. We ask Jesus to guide us to them. I think I shared a while back the words that a lady from Ghana had said when we were in a discussion on evangelism over in Stirling. She said that she believed that God always answered the prayer that began, Lord, Bring me to the people that need to hear your gospel. And then she went on to say, when I wake up every morning, I say to the Lord, Lord, where are my fish today? Where are my fish today? That's a great prayer, isn't it? That we're open to God's direction. Also, Jesus, in his miracle, shows us that the results are always up to him. He directed the boat right above where the fish were, ensured that there would be this amazing catch. He's in control of the business of results so that we never need to fret about results. Results are his business. But third, we still need to go. Jesus could have commanded the fish to leap out of the sea onto the shore, but instead he said to Simon to go out in the boat into the deep and to put down the nets. And we need to speak for Jesus we need to be obedient. We need to obey God in going, even when sometimes, and sometimes it happens, his, his directions seem to be strange to us. We can't make sense of why Jesus is telling us to go where he's sending us. But we need to go. And then finally, we're to pull a net. The disciples had to do that. They had to pull in the net. We need to tell people and we need to challenge people. We need to tell people that Jesus is Lord. We need to challenge people to follow Jesus. Friends, we're in this atmosphere in Scotland today which is really intimidating towards the communication of the gospel. We mustn't be cowed by that. We mustn't be intimidated by that. We must pull in the net. Yes, we must live lives of integrity. We must adorn the gospel with good deeds. But we must speak and we must invite. We must challenge. We must bring people to Jesus. We must pull in the net. Then, finally, 
the great film shot ends. There's a, a camera shot, which is hugely, hugely significant, of the two boats deserted by the shore. That's all we see at the end of this little picture. They went, they left everything, and they went and followed Jesus. We're not even told what happened to this huge catch of fish. There's simply this wonderful note of the joy of what it is to follow Jesus, in which everything else falls into uh, insignificance. They had, as it were, bigger fish to fry. They followed Jesus and left everything behind. Closing challenge. Do you have a call on your life that's bigger than your present existence? If you're not a Christian, it's one of the great reasons for following Jesus. Not only does he save us from judgment, but he gives our lives a purpose, a fulfillment that we cannot find anywhere else in the world. He will give us the greatest job. And if you are a Christian, then he wants you to obey that summons to go and to catch men and women, to throw yourself in with every ounce of energy into the world's greatest task. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that we really never suffer We never lose out when we give our all to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the joy of serving you and of the huge thrill of seeing other people grasp what it is that Jesus has done and simply trust him for salvation. Lord, we never tire of this. It never ceases to amaze and thrill us. Grant, Lord, that we might never miss out on this life's greatest adventure. Lord, move amongst us, we pray. And grant that we, as we go into the world, will not only be fishers of men, but will rejoice to see many come to know Jesus, whom to know is life indeed. Amen. I'm going to close uh, singing a hymn that uh, continues of rising up and, and going out into the world, uh, following Jesus in obedience to him. Will church arise?